bringing you news and updates from the Alliance of American Football, your source for everything Memphis, with your hosts, Dan and Michelle. This is Memphis AAF. Welcome to the podcast all about Alliance Memphis, where we bring you the latest news and updates, and then we kind of point out the fact that we still need a name. I am Daniel, coming to you by Michelle. How you doing? I am tired. How are you doing? <laughs> Why are you tired? I don't know. I work too much. Well, that's true. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We just got a little bit of news, and then we are bringing in an incredible interview. That was a lot of fun to record. Yeah, we interviewed Nathan... Shackelford. Yep. Who's an agent representing football players. Is it only football players? I think so. That's kind of his focus. So anyway, we interviewed him and I actually got to be part of this interview, which was really fun. (laughs) It was fun to learn more about what an agent does. And he had some insight into some things that I hadn't thought about. But you guys will hear more about that in the interview when we get to it. Yeah. All right, so just a little bit of news, not a whole lot of big news or anything. Shocker. (laughs) But the Alliance shop is back up. The shop? Yes, where you can buy merch and gear and whatnot, all the fun stuffs. Oh, that shop. Yeah. What shop are you thinking of? I don't know. (laughs) We hadn't ever referred to a shop, so I didn't know what shop. The Alliance has a shop, shop shop.aaf.com. You can get like all the team-specific gear now. It went down after the Eastern Division was announced. Uh, the shop might have been overwhelmed by traffic. Here's hoping. That would be yeah. so cool. <laughs> People are so excited that they're just like clamoring for that merch. Yeah, but it came back up Monday and it's up now. So go get your merch, support your teams, support the Alliance. Be like Ashton Kutcher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the shop is open and up and ready to go. What else is going on? So the Alliance has announced that it has signed over 500 players. That seems like a lot, like a it, lot, a lot. I feel like it is a lot. How how many players are signed in the preseason? So each team gets 75, which brings that the total number of players signed is going to be a max of 600. Oh, wow. So we're almost there. Holy crap. Yeah. And as you'll hear in the interview, like, at this point, there's not a whole lot going on. There's no more tryouts. I mean, that's they're probably going to, you know, sign the last few for training camp and for the offseason. And I'll bet that teams already have those last spots filled in their minds. Maybe yeah. not like contracts signed, obviously, but they pretty much know where, where they're going. Yeah. And we got to any last few spots. I mean, cause I think I saw like Memphis and a couple teams are like up to 60 something. So there's only like eight or nine left. And then a few teams, um, I think San Antonio just signed 30. So they're well, picking up the pace. But we got the QB camp coming up and then the QB draft. And apparently, so Memphis has five QBs signed and then other teams have three. I think one has two. So the way it's going to work is they get to reserve one. So I'm assuming we're going to reserve bacon, met and cheeseburger. Right. Because the QBs were drafted to the league and not. They're to- signed to the league. Right. I'm sorry. But they haven't been drafted to teams yet correct so, so they're they, out, they're outside the allocation process right they they have jobs they just don't know where yet yeah for now yeah because obviously they're going to be cut because not a team's not going to carry five qbs so each team will get to reserve one and the- <gasps> sorry i'm so sorry so this is totally off topic but can we call the backup quarterback bacon met and cheeseburger junior junior bacon met and cheeseburger yeah whichever one <laughs> but we'll call him the junior there you go uh, i can dig it 
like Whopper Jr., but I, I think they'll appreciate that even more <laughs> than Zach being called Met and Cheeseburger or Bacon Met and Cheeseburger. Yeah, I'm sure the second tier quarterback would love to not even be known by his own name. He's yeah. just a junior of the first string. Okay, sorry. Back to what you're saying. So each team will reserve one quarterback for us, probably Zach, and then the rest of the quarterbacks go into the draft. And then each team can draft based on what they need and what they want to carry through the offseason. Now, something that you've mentioned a couple of times now is quarterback camp. What's that? It's just like the combine of quarterbacks. They'll go through quarterback drills and evaluate the quarterbacks that are going to be in the draft. Okay, so that that will happen before the draft takes place? Yeah. Okay. Then they'll use like what they see during this QB camp to determine like who they want to draft. Oh, interesting. Yeah. See, again, that would be something that would be cool to go and watch and observe and like interview people for. So I don't know. I wish we could go to that. Yeah. Hey, so AAF, we know you're listening. Get us some media passes to the QB camp. That'd be so cool. <laughs> Although I'm sure the quarterbacks would hate us walking around just giving them dumb nicknames. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So shall we get into the interview? Let's do it. Okay. All right, everyone, we are here with Nathan Shackelford. He is an agent that represents some of the players that are in the AAF. Um, he had a really interesting history. We were talking with him for a little bit and just hearing kind of how he got started with football and actually becoming an agent. So, Nathan, man, how you been doing? What are you up to lately? Uh, good. Nothing much, really. It's kind of a, kind of a slow time right now because a lot of teams, I've actually talked to two, two or three teams that are actually like almost completely full so uh the cfl is winding down and so it's kind of a kind of a slow time right now since i'm not doing the nfl just kind of doing af cfl it's a little bit slow right now actually gotcha gotcha but that's good for the aaf though (laughs) yeah yeah but it's uh what the tough thing is is we, we can talk about this later too is that i have a bunch of guys that are allocated and so the guys that are allocated, they're on these teams that don't want them, and these teams are filling up. And so I can't mm. talk to t- other teams about them. So uh. it's kind of a, yeah, but we can talk about that later, yeah, how that yeah. whole thing works. Well, I know that I'm personally excited to have you on the show because as a football fan, I know some about the sport, but not really about the business of football. So I'm excited to learn m- more about what an agent actually does. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, you see it on TV and, and on movies and all that, but you don't really, you know, took me a little bit even to figure out what an agent truly did, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started and what you do as an agent? Okay, yeah. So uh, I uh, went to Texas A&M for undergrad and growing up, always playing sports, you know, played football in high school, wasn't able to play in college just because I tore my ACL my junior and senior year, but always sit around football. And then when I got out of A&M, I uh, went to SMU uh, Law School. And started doing that. And then kind of when I got there, when I got to SMU, was just looking into all the options to kind of stay around sports. And football really uh, was the main priority for me. And so as I was looking around, just heard about an agent and tried to look into kind of what that did. And so uh, I reached out to every agent in Dallas and uh, only one football agent got back with me and his name's Gary Glick. And he's kind of like my mentor, the guy that I really look up to, the guy that kind of got me my start. So I went with him to some pro days. I was there with him during the draft, got to make calls to teams and kind of see the whole process. And so that kind of uh, what got me into it. Yeah, just I mean, it, there's so many different paths to becoming an agent, but mine is I, I knew I wanted to go there. And so that's kind of how my path got me to where I am now. 
So an agent is in a business, in, in, in our business law class, you know, everything that applies there applies here. So an agent is, uh, an agent relationship is there's a principal and an agent. And so the principal here is the player, the agent here is the actual agent. And so the principal or the player is giving the agent the authority to negotiate for him, to represent him, to represent his best interests. So what I do is I, I talk to teams trying to, depending on the level, it all depends. What I do really depends on the level of the player. So if you have a guy, for example, uh, I represent Tommy Armstrong. Uh, and Tommy is a really well-known guy, played in Nebraska, huge name. So when I call teams and drop the name Tommy Armstrong, they know who he is. He's a known commodity. So then it's just talking about finding the right fit for him, finding uh, the best interests for him, doing all that. Whereas I represent a lot of smaller guys, like, you know, you guys have talked to Christian Love and Bubba Jenkins, and those two guys are uh, not known commodities. So they're kind of a little under the radar, guys that's, whose names aren't quite as big. So my job for those guys is to get their name big, to get their name where every team I talk to knows their name, where everyone knows they're available, where everyone's seen their film. And then from there, just following up with teams, making sure that seeing if there's any interest, seeing if there's when there's injuries, if they want to bring them up, just staying in good in good relationship and uh, connection with the teams. It's very, very relationship based. Sounds like it. Yeah. And it's definitely it seems to be kind of like one of those jobs where it's more about who, you know, and building like you said, relationships and networks to kind of get that inside, you know, contact where other people can't. Yeah, it takes that takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it especially. I mean, the hard thing at the beginning of the AF was when the first when the AF first started. Uh, it was all these NFL people, and a lot of NFL agents had connections with these old former NFL people, but I I didn't. Oh, yeah. So uh, it took me you know a long time to get to get numbers, and then even after you get numbers, they won't answer numbers they don't recognize. So it takes a lot of time to kind of develop the te- the to the place where they recognize your number, they'll answer the phone, know your know you by name, that kind of deal. So that takes time, definitely. So like you see a lot of players like Richard Sherman comes to mind. They don't have an agent, they're representing themselves, you know, negotiating their own contracts. It seems becoming more and more common. So why do players need an agent? Yeah. So uh, I mean the the plus side of if you're the player and you're going around not having an agent you're saving that 3% or whatever the agreed upon percentage is. Generally, industry standard is 3%. So, you know, you're cutting out that 3%, which could save you, you know, over the term of, you know, your playing career. If you're a guy like Richard Sherman, that's saving you millions of dollars, uh, most likely. And uh, so that's that's an incentive. But at the same time, you know, the, the point of an agent for these bigger guys is to negotiate contracts to uh, be able to leverage, you know, what the player's done and uh, what they're going to be able to do. And that takes a lot of research and uh, in-depth look at, at contract structure. And, and generally, players aren't going to have the time to spend to look at all that. Uh, so that's kind of the higher-up players. And plus, also with those higher-up players, if you're in a heated negotiation and you're the one negotiating the contract, that might create bad blood between you and the, the person you're negotiating with, uh, which might make it you know strain a relationship going forward, whereas the agent can kind of... you know take himself out of it a little bit from uh, as a third party. Uh, so those are for the bigger players. For the smaller players, smaller players need agents to have someone who can get their name out, who, uh, who, can, who can make them a known commodity, who can get them a chance. Because smaller guys, uh, if, they're, if you're reaching out to 
all these GMs doing all this on your own. There's a, there's a lot of teams. There's some teams who do a really good job of looking at your film, no matter what, but there's a lot of people that if you, if you're not, if you don't have an agent, you're a player sending out your film, teams won't even look at it. They're just going to discard it. So by being with an agent as a smaller guy, you're kind of saying, you, you kind of get the brand of that guy saying, Hey, I've dealt with this agent before. So the fact that this player's with him means he must be a reputable, decent guy. So that'll at least get your film looked at by being with an agent. Uh, so it's, it kind of depends again, based on, you know, are you a big well-known commodity or are you a smaller guy? But I think in either case, there's a big pitch that you need an agent. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It shows that you are somebody that people are willing to work with, that they believe in you. It's like a personal salesman. Yeah. Yes. Yes. For the small guys, I mean, it's a lot of it's. I mean, I feel like I'm in a sales role a lot of the time. You know, I have to know my guy's stats with the running 40s generally, uh, you know, where they played. And, you know, when you have a good amount of guys, it can take you a split second to try to remember all those things. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a lot more sales for a smaller guy than it is a bigger guy. You know, like Baker Mayfield's agent, I'm sure, didn't have to ever make a call to say, hey, can you can you just draft Baker? I mean, we'd love if you would just draft Baker. You know, I'm sure he's getting the calls and he's do, he's the one getting everything. So a guy like that, I mean, it's a totally different situation. Yeah. So what kind of things, like what are the pros and cons of working with like an individual agent versus maybe like a larger agency or like one of the, like somebody else? Just in general, the difference between a small and a big, between an individual guy or a smaller firm and a uh, big firm like, you know, all these huge mega firms is uh, is really going to be probably going to come down to services. So what are the big, the big agencies can handle more in-house in terms of they can probably handle more of your marketing, handle more of, of that stuff. There's more money behind it. But, you know, a lot of times these smaller groups either can, han- they can either handle the same thing themselves or they'll outsource it. You know, they'll find another group who can do it just as well. And just not the group just won't make that profit. The, the firm will make that profit. But in the end, you know, a small, whether you're an individual guy, whether it's an individual guy or a big, a big one, they're going to have the same exact leverage in negotiating. Uh, they can still have the exact same type of relationships uh, with teams. So, I mean, that's really not a big deal. And also, you know, one of the bigger things we're going with a small group versus a big firm is going to be relationships. Uh, there are some agents at big firms who do a good job at that. But there are a lot of big firms that just kind of see players as a, as a commodity and don't see them as a as a relationship. Whereas the smaller guys, uh, the guys that are doing it on their own, you generally find a lot closer relationship between the agent and the player at a smaller firm than at a mega firm. But for me personally, uh, I, I am very close friends with all my players. We talk almost all the time. Uh, we hang out, do all that kind of stuff. So the way that I see myself as different is uh, I'm very, very relational with my guys, which makes it easier for me to fight for them because I see them as my friends. I don't have anyone to the level of mark where I need to market anyone yet. Uh, so I haven't had to deal with that, but I'd probably outsource that eventually if I had to do that. But those are just kind of the general differences of, of the two. So if a player was looking to find an agent, how would they go about that process? How would they go about signing an agent? What, what are the top tips you'd recommend for someone looking to do that? You know, I've had, I have people reach out to me a good amount about looking for agents and uh, that kind of thing. Again, this is going to totally depend on the basis of are they, you know, are they a big player or are they a smaller player? Because if they're a bigger player, there are these things called agent player days where the 
where most schools have a thing where agents come in, talk to the players, do all that. The players come, the agents come to the player. So that's already set up. That's already established. And that's when you're in school. And then the smaller guys, you know, don't get all that. But then it's kind of a different, a different timing period if you're out of school. So most of the guys that reach out to me are out of school already. You know, I've been out for one for, you know, just finished or just maybe got out a year ago. For those guys, which are, you know, the majority of the time people are reaching out in the first place are guys that are from smaller schools or guys that get overlooked and don't get looked at in college. So for those guys, the best way to do it is, you know, just to find, get, you know, a lot of my best players are connections from other, from my other players. So maybe you have a friend that has an agent, maybe he's willing to help, or, you know, maybe there's someone you look up to, you admire, uh, maybe reach out to them and, you know, and, and reaching out, you have to be very personal. Uh, I get, I get emails. I'll respond to every email I get from any player, no matter what. Um, even if it's to say, I can't help you, but I'll, I can't represent you, but I can help. I'm willing to help in any way. But uh, I've, I've had emails where guys are just like, it's very, very generic and boilerplate. And I've actually had one where I was one of 20 people in the email. So when you get something <laughs> like that, you know, you know, the guy's just mass spamming everyone. So, you know, if he's not going to take the time to do any research into you, why should you do, you know, why should you look into him? So, you know, again, that kind of depends on where you are, but most guys that are reaching out for looking for agents are are out of school generally. So yeah, that's kind of the the two ways out. out. That's funny because we get the same kind of emails from the website or like some people will just send a link to their YouTube video. And that's it. Won't say anything when you put like a yep. subject. Will just send me a link yep. to their YouTube video. And I think in nowadays with social media and the era of smartphones, it's so easy to make like a really creative introductory video in addition to highlights. Or mm-hmm. there's so it's so easy to come up with creative ways to get your name out there and to have a conversation with someone and to get them interested yep. in you. And for someone to just send a very yep. blanket email where you're one of twenty others. Yeah. That's like, I'm not even interested in helping you out. I think that's the easiest thing is like market yep. yourself, make it so that people want to be on your team. Yeah. yeah any players out there listening? Oh, yeah, definitely. Just put the bare minimum effort, create a little introduction paragraph in the email. Just do something to set you to set yourself apart. Because like, I mean, think about it. It's just the same as like applying to a job. You're these guys are getting a lot of emails from a lot of players. You need to stand out amongst everybody else. Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, for me, like the biggest, one of the biggest things for me is, so I'll tell everyone that I talk to this is, uh, I don't care if you're, you know, the next Aaron Rodgers, if you, if you don't have, if our personalities don't mesh, if you're a guy that you're, you're all about yourself, you're all about, you know, what you can make and all that, you know, I don't, I don't care to represent that type of guy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm looking for a very specific brand of guy and I'm willing to turn down whatever amount of money to get the guys that fit me. And a lot of agents don't care. But for me, I care about the character of the guys that I represent because I, I only represent guys with high high character. I think that's important because that also reflects on you as an agent too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it makes it easier when you're talking to teams too, because uh, hopefully after a while, it's the brand of, hey, anyone associated with Nathan is a high character guy that's never going to get off field issues. We're not going to have to worry about signing a guy mid season because he's, his guy got, you know, busted for drugs or domestic violence or whatever, you know, so they don't have to worry about that in the back of their heads, which hopefully, you know, helps, you know, with them evaluating a player. 
Yeah, that makes your guys all that more appealing. That makes you more appealing to other players because they know you have that reputation with you. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned that you work with guys typically who are kind of out of the game for a little bit or played in college but haven't played for a little bit. Is that right? Uh, some. Most of mine, I would I would say most of my guys are guys that played at smaller schools like D2, D3, kind of that level, more, more D2, but didn't get looked at. Like, you know, have pretty good numbers, pretty good stats, impress people in person, but didn't get noticed in school because they're at a smaller school. Some of those guys can get overlooked. I mean, you know, you got a guy like Christian who Christian wasn't getting any attention until he went, until I started representing him until he went to the, until he went to the draft and then, or, you know, until he went to the combine and then the combine people are like, wow, he can move. And yeah. So those are the guys I represent generally are the guys who are like that, who just get overlooked. Those are generally the type of guys because if you, what you're saying about time, when you start, the more you start stepping away from the game, the harder it is to get back in. If you haven't played football where you're recorded in over, I'd say anywhere over a year, you're kind of in trouble. It's, it's going to be tough, uh, especially when you start getting over two, three years, then it's, you know, teams won't even look. So that's a lot harder to do. Generally, when I have guys reach out that say, hey, I haven't played in two, three years, I say, hey, go, you need to go, go to Spring League, go to get a play arena, do something to get some recent film. Makes sense. Okay, so the AAF is largely considered a minor league for the NFL. Is it possible for a player to have an entire career in the AAF and kind of be successful? Or is success marked by being signed to the NFL? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah, I think, so first of all, I think the, the goal of the league, I think, you know, people, agents and, and officials and everyone is talking, that's talking and saying, the goal is for, for the NFL to eventually endorse this and make this a part of a thing where it's, a, it's into the, ingrained into their culture, kind of like the NFL Europe was. Only time will tell on that because I think the NFL is not fully ready to do anything like that because they don't know what's going to happen financially with this league. And I think that goes into the second part of your question, which is if they can have a long-term career in the league, that's going to depend on if the league is here in three years. I mean, we, we all want to say it is, and we all hope it is, but it all is going to depend on, on how much revenue they're pulling in because they're going to have to stay afloat because um, you've seen all these other leagues that pop up, not in recent past, but you know, years and years ago, pop up, do nothing, they, they, go, you know, they lose money and they, they stop. If we're assuming that the NFL, that, this, that the AAF makes money, it's a good uh, that it stays afloat, that, it, that people are watching, uh, and it's making money. Then I would then that's one conversation, uh, and and if that's the case, then I have no problem at all. If I have a guy who's, I'd rather have a guy who has a very very successful career in the AAF and can do that for three five however many years. Then a guy who's who's bouncing around from training tra- training camp to training camp, practice squad to practice squad in the NFL over and over again, because that's just it's really demoralizing to players just to go training camp get cut, come back to training camp get cut. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know if you're if you're in the AAF and you have a you know if, and you have a successful career, um, if we're talking these first three years, you're making a minimum of two hundred fifty thousand in three years, which you know, it was an NFL money, but in the world, in the terms of real world, I mean, that's a good chunk of money for, you know, 
getting getting that over a couple months. So I I would have no issue personally uh, for some of my guys doing that. Um, if it works out long term and that's what they want to do, great. But that's going to depend on the individual player and how much of a deal big deal it is for him to play in the NFL versus how big of a deal it is for him to be playing at a at a very very productive level uh, where maybe he's the best at his game but he's not at the best level. So that's going to be a player to player question that they're going to have to answer. And it's going to it's going to largely depend on how they do their first year in the AAF. And if the AAF continues after that first year evaluating, hey, do we want to jump out and go to the NFL or do we just want to stay in the AAF for another year? What do we want to do? So that's going to be a talk that's going to happen with a lot of players, too, in, in between the first and second year of the AAF, it, if it makes it. Makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad the AAF is allowing players to opt out of their contract to play for the NFL if they get the opportunity and then obviously they yeah. come back. So and I'm glad that they have that in there to kind of encourage these guys to play for the AAF while they can and still keep their NFL dreams alive. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And I think they, they went in the, you know, the, that Charlie Ebersaw and all these people going into this, you know, kind of knew, Hey, we need to make this to a place where, uh, you know, we, we can't compete. We don't want to compete with the NFL. Um, we want to be complimentary. And if we're going to be complimentary, we can't, hold guys hostage. Um, Cause if we do that, you know, our, our crowd is going to be so much more limited. And you see that in the CFL happening now too, um, where it used to be kind of a two year, you're stuck in the CFL type thing. And, and in their new CBA agreements, it's a big push for, for the one year out for the C, for the NFL two to kind of keep up with the AF. So yeah, it, that, that AF structure is having consequences on, on the CFL also. Which for me is exciting and earmarks possible success for the AAF that they are leading the charge and something that the CFL is following with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's, it's definitely good. And I think there's definitely some, you know, as much as people, as teams may or may not want to admit it, there is some kind of a rivalry that's kind of brewing of <laughs> each side thinking that they're the better side for different reasons and both sides legitimately having good reasons for thinking they're the better side. So you know, it's, it's, it's interesting and it'll, it, both sides are going to kind of have to play, are going to play off each other. And uh, if the AAF sticks around long-term, it'll be interesting to see kind of that dynamic, that rivalry and how both have to kind of do stuff to keep up with each other. Cause I mean, that's, yeah, that would be pure competition right there. You know, too. Yeah. Well, do you think that there's an advantage to any one league? Notice thinking, you know, we got the AAF starting this, uh, this February CFL has been going on for years. Um, we get the XFL starting in 2020, not to mention there's quite a few semi-professional and arena leagues. Is there any advantage to yeah. the AAF over any of these other leagues? Yeah. Um, so what I like when I'm talking to my guys, it's very specific for each guy. Um, for example, if you are a 300, you know, upper 290s, 300 pound defensive lineman, uh, it's going to be tough for you to play in the CFL because it's a very, very fast game. You have to be very, very fast in shape, and they generally don't like they like they they generally don't go with bigger linemen. So if you have a bigger lineman, the AAF is going to be a better fit. If you are a smaller ranger linebacker, uh, you're going to fit better in the in the CFL than the AAF. So it, it just we don't. It's going to be interesting. I think the the AAF is going to kind of develop more like a pro style league. Like kind of like the NFL, how the mm -hmm. NFL plays. So you'll kind of have similar format to that, whereas the CFL is very speed-based, um, not very run-heavy. So running backs would probably, you know, might do better 
in this league because, you know, it might be a little more balanced than in the CFO where you have three down, so you have to pass. Um, so it, it just depends on – for me, it depends on the player. But yeah. what I like about the AAF is, is the connections to the NFL. All the, the players and GMs and uh, coaches that kind of have that NFL backing because networking, like you said earlier, networking is huge. And if you have that, if you have Steve Spurrier, Michael Vick, one of these guys in your corner pushing you to the NFL, I mean, that's going to make a big difference. So, and and you're playing the same style of game. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, if teams, if the NFL is looking for guys to play their type of game, they're going to have to find the guys. They can't just take any guy from the CFL because their guys are going to be undersized in some positions, Mm -hmm. not all positions, but in some. So when they're looking, I mean, they're going to look at the it's a lot easier if you're playing the same style of game, whereas the CFL is just a little bit different of a style. So that's kind of the, probably the benefits the AF has going forward is the same style in the NFL connections. That makes a lot of sense. Like I watch a lot of these highlight, uh, highlight reels of the guys that play at arena football and it's, it's almost a completely different sport. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> arena is a whole, arena is a whole nother beast. I mean, it's very different too. And, and even the CFL, like I reached, I was talking to the CFL, scout yesterday and, and I was showing him a gun arena guys film and he said you know it's just so hard to evaluate arena film we just don't even know what to do yeah <laughs> I mean it's just it's such a different game so uh even CFL teams don't I mean it's more similar to the CFL than the NFL but CFL teams don't even know what to do with it all the time mm-hmm. so okay so so when is a newly eligible player allowed to sign with an agent this is all based on NCA rules and how that operates and each basically the short answer is uh, after their last game of the season. So if a team does not go to a bowl game, it would be a- it would be after their last regular season game. If they go to a bowl game, it would be after that bowl game. But the so kind of how that works is, you know, again, the agents are depends depending on the school's uh, compliance department, athletic compliance department. Uh, some schools are very, very good about letting agents come in and talk to the players all the time. Some are very, very strict where they only want you talking to the players when they're there. So you can only see them like twice a year. It really depends on the school's compliance department of how much you're able to kind of actively recruit them. But they're not, due to NCAA rules, they're not allowed to sign anything until after the last game they play. And that's kind of the hard hard rule on that. Okay. It's interesting, though, because the AAF season is totally different from NFL. So let's say like you're in college and you get signed in the NFL. Well, you would just start, you know, preseason or practice or whatever after school gets out. But with the AAF, would that be different because the season's different? So let's say your last game is in December, but you don't graduate till May. Would you start playing in February or would you wait until you graduate? See what I mean? Like it's a little different with the AAF season being off. Yeah, it is very different. And I mean, I've been thinking, I've been, thinking through this myself a lot of of how that's going to work. I, I think we're not going to see this kind of issue as much in the first year because teams are already really, really full. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think that they're going to want newer players as much. I, I don't see as big of a push for that. Just in, I mean, if, if there was going to be a big push for that, people would save roster spots, and I'm not really seeing that. Um, yeah. So I don't think that's going to be as huge of a factor in the first year. But I'm going to be very curious if that goes in the second year how that's going to work because like I'm talking to a guy right now who's at a small NAIA school um, and he's doing great there, but he's probably, you know, he's to the point where he knows he's at a small school. So if the CFL comes and they say, Hey, we want you, you know, it's going to, he's going to be in that same situation too. 
So, I mean, it's, it's an interesting type deal of, you know, you have to kind of think through like, there's multiple things. First, if you go to the, something like the AAF or the CFL, you're kind of saying, I don't think I'm going to be in the draft. I don't think I'm going to be taken. So you're kind of foregoing your first opportunity to get in the NFL. Then if you do that, if you go straight to the AAF, you're, you're foregoing your, probably your spring, your, your entire spring semester of college. So right when you're going to graduate, I mean, that might be why the AF is putting in scholarship, maybe um, yeah. some of the scholarship funds. Maybe they're thinking ahead of, hey, some guys are going to leave. So we're going to let them go back to school after they're done to finish that last semester or whatever. So that could be a, that could have been a thought. Um, I don't think they've publicly acknowledged that. But I mean, that would make sense mm-hmm. um, if they put in that scholarship to say, hey, we know we're going to have make guys leave early. So we'll reimburse them by paying for their school when they want to go back. It's a possibility, but it, yeah. it's a very interesting question. I just don't yeah. think we're going to see the answer to that until year two. Makes sense. And another question about timing is with when it comes to the XFL, do you think that McMahon and the XFL is offering enough in their contracts and salaries for anyone to sit out with the AAF and wait for the XFL? There, There's right now, I mean, a lot of guys that are trying to play are just desperate to play. Um, they just want to play at the first available opportunity. I mean, all my guys basically say, Hey, Nathan, I just like, just get me back on a field as soon as I can. Like, I just need to be on a field. So to, to wait a year is just really, really tough. We were in a situation where I had a guy in the CFL who, a guy that signed with the AF who had CFL interest and some CFL teams basically said, Hey, if you kind of wait a little bit, we might be interested later on in this guy, but you know, we just don't have an answer for you now. But we went ahead and got him signed in the AAF just because it's it's the security, it's the you know you know you're going to get a chance. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, same thing with the XFL, you're going to have to wait. You don't know what's going to happen. And I I think I think you know I'm a I'm a big fan of the more leagues the better. Um, yeah. If we can get guys off the couch playing, that is that is all good with me. Like I am great with that. So, you know, I have no problem with guys going to play in the XFL, but. If you're going to go like a year or two without film, again, we'll come back to the film. If you're going at two years, like a year or two without film, that's a dangerous deal. Um, mm-hmm. The only reason I would feel comfortable with that is if a guy had a contract. Uh, like if a guy signs a contract, you know, saying he's he has a for sure spot in the, in the XFL, blah, blah, blah. I'd feel comfortable with him signing that. But if he's waiting and he doesn't know if he's going to get in and he's, you know, losing a year of where he could get film, I wouldn't I wouldn't be okay with that. So I mean I I'm I'm a proponent of getting a guy on a field as soon as possible. Um, that's that's kind of how I'm and and I don't think the XFL needs. I mean, there's going to be there's always a huge turnover of players, you know, because there's going to be so many players coming out next year after this season. So I don't think they're going to have a problem in getting guys. And I, I mean, I don't think guys are going to wait around uh, for that personally. Yeah, I don't think it, there's going to be a lack of talent. I think um, I think it was Charlie who did an interview. Saying there's something like fifteen thousand players coming out of college football to fill what was it, like two thousand roster spots in the NFL. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's plenty of guys out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, there's there's tons of guys, and I mean, all those guys that got cut in training camps are sitting mm-hmm. at home right now, or you know, after training camp got cut, and there a lot of those guys are sitting at home right now. So. Yeah, I, I'm. If a guy has an offer, I'm never going to turn down an offer to say wait. You know, when a guy has an offer, he needs to. Depending, depending on what, again, depending on what level of guy he is. Like, is he a, 
you know, is he a D one stud or is he a D two guy who's looking for a shot? And if it's a, you know, if it's a guy looking for a shot, like you're never going to turn down an opportunity to play. Right. Do you know if there's any kind of salary cap figure for the AAF or is there any kind of future where that would have one? So right now there's, it's a base contract for every player. And then there's going to be incentives built in, which we don't know what those incentives are going to be. My guess is they're going to be set by the league for each team. It's going to be something to do with, I don't know if it's going to be like team bonuses only or, or if they're going to do individual stats, you know, like if you hit X amount of touchdowns, you get X amount of money. Or if you hit X amount of rushing yards or blah, blah, blah. If they're just going to say, hey, if you're the passing leader, rushing leader, tackles leader. I don't know how they're going to structure that. If they're going to go that in depth or if they're just going to go on a win-loss type base. But for the next three years, it's going to be base, like a base salary plus incentives. So with that, there's no need for a salary cap because everyone's going to get the same amount. The, the question would be after year three, do they continue with that model or do they throw in you know the same type deal or do they go to pure salary cap? And I think the question with that, the answer to that is going to be how well does it do? If it's booming, making tons of money, and you know they're getting way more money than they thought they were going to get in, I think it'd be very, very easy for them to go to that model. But if they're worried about keeping costs predictable, then they'd probably want to stay with that that predictable model. But I think it's going to be based off of, for now, there's no salary cap, but it's going to be based off in the future, based off how they do these next couple of years, year two, three, whatever it is. Yeah, that makes sense. So did you see what happened to Earl Thomas yesterday? Yes. Yeah. So we were talking about, we were curious what kind of guarantees there's going to be in AAF player contracts to make sure that something that happened to Earl Thomas doesn't happen to AAF players where they're injured. And now who knows what's in his future? The, the AAF contract does not guarantee, it's the same as the NFL, does not guarantee any money. And this is, this is a big issue with football in general. Is, is, uh, and, and what I'm really hoping is that some players, uh, and to point out that the, the NFL is going to have the control over this, um, the, the players are. And I'm, I'm really hoping that in 2020, when the CBA runs out, that the NFL players are, are actually show some teeth and actually back it up. And I, I think they need to do something radical to to put a message across of we need to we need guaranteed money in some sort. I don't even think it needs to be a hundred percent, but I mean the fact that it's the roughest sport in in all of sports, the most physical, long term damages to your body, the low the least amount of you know of of playing to, of time you can play because of how much of a toll it puts on your body, and it's not it's the only sport that's not guaranteed. I mean, it's just mind boggling. So the players need, it's all in the players' hands in 2020 of, of what, if, if, if they can set that example, and I think that'll trickle down. Um, like we were talking about earlier with the CFL and the AF. I think here, if, if in 2020, if you see NFL players locking out and striking and not playing unless they get guaranteed money, I think you're going to see that trickle down to all these other levels. And, uh, you know, I, it's, I'm I'm really hoping that happens because the players are going to have the control to do it. It's just going to be, will the players union and will the players really stand up or are they just going to cower down again and just give in to the owners? So, I mean, I think that's going to be the question. I really hope as a fan that the players do hold out for what they need because I, I would love to see these players protected for as long as possible. I mean, I think that oh, yeah. as a society, we're really coming around to the importance of safety and putting concerns like that first and um i think it's going to be more important for the nfl to kind of catch up with that 
and even more like we don't have to get into this, but political aspects of what as well. I feel like the NFL is full of a bunch of people that are in the past and I think that's cost them. So I think it's going to be important for the NFL to put safety and other things like that first. No, I, I definitely agree. I mean, it's, and it's, there's a lot more factors into it. I mean, I, we make it very simple of like, Hey, why did you pay more money? I mean, I know there's a lot of money concerns and all of that, but you know, uh, the, the players are going to have the control over that. And, you know, it's just going to be up to what, what they, what they're willing to give up and what they're willing to do. So uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I, you know, I actually wrote, I wrote an article for uh, the uh, SMU law school a little bit ago, I can send you a link to this, but I wrote on the XFL before I knew about the AAF, I wrote about the XFL and how they can change the dynamics of, of guaranteed contracts. Kind of wrote about that when the XFL was releasing their intent to play. So um, I talked about that a little bit ago, just talking about how, you know, it, it, why, why do we even call the NFL contracts a contract? Because, you know, in a contract is an intent to be bound to an agreement and teams don't intend to be bound to anything. They know at any time they can just cut the guy. So why are we calling it a contract when it's really an at-will employment? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, send us that link. We'll put it in the so. show notes. So that way people can have a look and see. One of the questions I get most often is, you know if there's going to be team tryouts? Uh, so the team tryouts were those those combines. And those combines were what they went off of for tryouts. That was their deal. They filled up extremely fast. People were still not sure, didn't know they were going to fill up. So actually... I probably had two or three guys that were going to go to those that probably would have gotten, you know, that would have shown out enough to, to get drafted, but they, they didn't go. And so, cause we didn't get it in time. And so, you know, a lot of guys are in that same boat of, Hey, I just missed that tryout. And so unfortunately from everything I'm seeing, those are the tryouts. And mm-hmm. so it's done. There's nothing now. And uh, it's, I mean, if you're a guy that's an unallocated guy from a small school and you just want a shot, like, Unfortunately, you kind of missed your best shot, which was that 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 draft, that try that those combines and that draft, and and now it's extremely uphill. Unfortunately, at this point for those top guys. So the best thing for them to do would be to play anywhere and get some film and just kind of stay in shape. Yeah, I mean, you can. I mean, if if you can, you keep plugging away, keep keep talking to teams. You know, make sure that some that people know your name. Try to get some feedback from teams. Um, and if you're not getting any of that, then do something like, yeah, do, I mean, you can't sit out if you sit out more than one year and you you've, you've gone two years without film, you're, you're in trouble. So if you just got out of school and you were waiting here to see if anything's going to happen, that's fine. But after a full year is gone, you need to do something, do arena, go to the spring league, uh, do something because you, you got to get film, recent film on you of, of, of you playing. Uh, cause that's going to be important. And, and I don't know if they're going to do another wave of traps next year, but if so, you, you want to come in with not just what you did in person, but also recent film to show that you're in playing shape and what you can do in a professional type deal. Makes sense. Yeah. Do you know if and when there will be a preseason for AAF? I mean, we're just so excited. and like, we want this to happen now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so training camp is going to start January 4th in San Antonio. I'm assuming that that's going to go through February or through the beginning of February. And I'm guessing kind of the beginning of February would be preseason. If I had, if, if I had to guess, I would highly doubt that they would just go blind into the season. I mean, without seeing guys in, you know, without seeing guys in a live game, without any film to go back and watch them of like in full contact. I mean, 
that, that I mean, week one would be a, it would be interesting. <laughs> um, we'll just put it that way. It's a preseason. Yeah, uh, just, and think about it. I mean, they're all all the teams are going to be in San Antonio, so I mean, it'd be easy to kind of throw together a few exhibition games, kind of. Yeah. Um, kind of mimic yeah. a preseason. They got to do. So, I mean, they're going to do something yeah. to some extent. I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do, but they're going to do something. Because there's no way you go into week one without any game experience, any game yeah. practice, <laughs> without seeing your guys in live, live speed. Because um, I mean, when you're playing your own guys, you're never, you're not going to go full speed. I mean, you're not going to light up a guy, uh, yeah. that's on your own team in the practice. So it's just different. They would be easy to market too, because that's right at postseason for NFL. Yeah. So and and you what you get a week or two between the last game and the Super Bowl, which. It, any preseason yeah. AAS games would land right in that spot. Mm-hmm. So you get just the same amount of hype yeah. and love for football directed right at the AAF, especially if they can get it on TV. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes, that would make sense. Um, I don't know how, how far the TV contracts have to be for that type of thing. So how that would work, but it would, I mean, if there's not, I mean, I know, I think it'd be competing with the pro when, bowl. When is the pro bowl? I want to say it's the week before the, yeah, that's what bowl. I was thinking about. Yeah. And then I think it is too. I think it's that. I think it's that bye week. But a lot of people. I mean, the the ratings went down on that one. A lot of people are kind of not (laughs) not excited about the Pro Pro Bowl. Yeah, like I love football, but I will never watch that that dumb game. (laughs) Yeah, it's not. It's not as big of a Mm -hmm. highly big of a deal. I mean, it's it's great if you're a player because I mean, you get that on your resume and you get an extra, you know, yeah, bonus, some bonus money and a free trip, you know. But uh, yeah. Is I mean, you look at all the look at all the all star games. I mean, they're all kind of a you know they're all kind of a joke through any sport. I mean, yeah, I mean, baseball well, used to matter because you used to get home field advantage, but that's gone. Yeah, and it's like especially with football, it's such a team sport. It's like how well can you play with guys that you've never played with yeah. or typically play against? Yeah, you're supposed to be rivals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome, Nathan. This was a lot of fun, a lot of great information. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, if people want to connect with you online, where can they go? So Twitter is probably uh, one of the easiest ways because uh, I am on Twitter and you can direct message me pretty easily on there at Shaq Knight, Nathan, N-A-T-H-A-N-S-H-A-C-K-1-9. So that is, that is my Twitter. That has a link to my LinkedIn and that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Sounds good. And before you get bombarded with this question, are you looking to, are you looking for new players? Uh, I am. I'm always looking. So it depends, right? With how big I am right now, it depends on, like, is this a good? You know, it depends on the level of the guy. Like, you know, if we're talking a guy who's going to be take a lot of work, I may not be able to do that. But a guy that has NFL experience, CFL experience, had a workout for the NFL or got cut, um, those type of guys, I'd be glad to help um, because that's a, they're a little bit better name known. But I do have a partner who's also willing to take on some guys. So uh, as long again, as they're looking, good, uh, good character, right? Yes. <laughs> no. I mean, especially for me, the type of guy, I mean, so like my faith is extremely important to me as a Christian guy. And so uh, the guys I really look for, I love helping Christian guys, um, guys that have my same faith that are. They're trying to make use football to kind of be to kind of give back and to kind of promote their faith. That's something that I really go for. So even if I can't represent a guy, 
I'll do whatever I can to help him, whether that's, you know, giving him uh, email addresses or uh, telling him his best options, you know, kind of walking through the steps like I did today of like, hey, go arena, go this, like, I'm willing to do whatever I need to do to, to, to help a guy. And I mean, I'm willing to help whoever reach out, reaches out to me and has, you know, kind of that good character, especially, especially Christian guys too. Sounds good. Well, th- once again, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, it was great having you. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. So that was Nathan. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. It was so much fun to talk to him. And there was so much that, like I said, he has insight on. There's so much that he's thought about when it comes to the season and drafting players and education and and how a season's going to play out in ways that I hadn't even thought of. Yeah, definitely. And as somebody who's like been in the industry or like, you know, been in football for a while, who can see kind of the behind the scenes things kind of predict like what's going to happen. Exactly. Like I didn't even think about college kids skipping their final semester to join an alliance team. Right. Or the consequences of not having a preseason. I hadn't even thought about how ridiculous (laughs) that could be. Yeah. But something that we mentioned in the interview, make sure when you guys to any players out there. If and when you communicate to potential agents, like you need to sell yourself, be on your P's and Q's and really present yourself in the best way as opposed to just like, yo, I need an agent. Yeah. Anybody can just throw out their highlight reel or just throw out like a few stats, like you got to do a little bit more. And like I was just thinking, I used to be like a hiring manager at a company and you get so many applications for like one position or just a couple positions that you're looking for reasons to immediately get rid of resumes. So whenever you get like 30, it's like, all right, well, I need to cut out half of these. Well, this guy has poor grammar, you know, this person. And I'm looking for reasons just to get rid of some so I can actually have, you know, just a few to actually review. And so you need to make sure that you do the utmost to put yourself in the best light. So whenever they're just trying to like filter through guys, you stand out. Absolutely. And I think that's more, that's important to just everyone looking for a job anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is life advice. If you're selling yourself for anything, stand above and beyond. This has now turned into a life coaching podcast. We will now begin charging you $200 an hour. (laughs) And Nathan said that he'd be willing to come back on the show. So if you guys have any more questions that you you want him to answer, or if you just want to have some ideas for him to kind of bounce around, let us know. We'll have him back on the show. Absolutely. I'd love to talk to him again. Yeah, definitely. That's all we got for you guys this week. So I think it was last week we said that we would be bringing you guys with the name. Did we say that? I thought so. Uh, okay. So we didn't want to leave you guys hanging. We've been thinking about a name. We have decided on a name. But we're going to let you know next, next week. week. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> we said it at the same time. <laughs> that was totally not planned. And also, don't forget, we do have the giveaway going on. We do have a few entries, so if you haven't entered yet, be sure to do that. Simply take a screenshot of our show subscribed on your phone, or grab your friend's phone, take a picture of your phone showing it was subscribed, and then subscribe on your friend's phone as well. Yeah. (laughs) And until next week. Bye! How much are we going to beat this horse? (laughs) We're going to beat it till it's dead.